As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. If you're a guest with us here this morning, um, here at North Holland, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark um, since Advent, but now especially in Lent, as Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, growing closer each day to the day that he will be betrayed and crucified. But along the way, there's conversations, there's teachings, there's healings. And today we get to remember what is the greatest commandment of all. And it's fitting that we have baptism today to remind us of God's great love and a reminder that we are children of God and that we remember who we are by remembering whose we are. And may Joseph grow and learn and always know who he is by remembering whose he is, that he is a child of God. Before we read Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray that your word may be illumined to us and that we may know your great love and share your great love with our neighbors. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments... Which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to share with you a story from the Reverend uh, Nicky Gumbel. I was standing in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge, admiring the view when another tourist walked up alongside of me to do the same. And I heard him say quietly as he took in the beauty of the view, What an awesome God. I turned to him and said, Are you a Christian? He said, Yes, I'm a Christian. I said, So am I. And we shook hands. I said, Are you a liberal or fundamental Christian? He said, I'm a fundamental Christian. I said, So am I. And we smiled and nodded to each other. 
I said, are you a covenant or dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm a dispensational fundamental Christian. I said, so am I. And we slapped one another on the back cheerfully. I said, are you an early acts, mid acts, or late acts dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm a mid acts dispensational fundamental Christian. I said, so am I. And we agreed to exchange Christmas cards each year. I said, are you an Acts 9 or Acts 13 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm an Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. And I said, so am I. And we hugged one another right there on the bridge. I said, are you a pre-trib or post-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm a pre-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. And I said, so am I. And we agreed to go on a family vacation together. I said, are you a 12-in or 12-out pre-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? And he said, I'm a 12-in pre-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. And I said, you heretic. And I pushed him over the bridge. (laughs) How much we can have in common And yet how quickly we part ways when finding even the smallest of differences. Religious debates often, although this is a caricature, religious debates can sometimes take this flavor of all of the common ground, of all the things that are in common. And yet at the first sign of a disagreement, we not necessarily even part ways, but we attack one another. And try to tell each other why you're wrong and why I am right. And all of the common ground is so quickly forgotten. Debates can be fruitful when it's questions and answers that are asked in a spirit of hospitality for both parties to gain clarity on the truth and to grow closer to what the truth is. But debates can be trivial and they can also miss the point. And for all the common ground that is so abundant, ever so quickly can be abandoned. At the first sight of disagreement, we can go on the attack. Too often, debates become an opportunity for someone to make themselves look good, or when they can't do that, it becomes an attempt to make someone else look bad. We don't need to look very far to find examples of that in an election year. Childish mockery and condescension is not debate. It isn't truth-seeking. It is simply ego and pride. Max Lucado recently published an article called The Decency Test, wondering the same thing about when we see candidates for office debating, would they pass a decency test like the one that he used to make people who wanted to date his daughter go through? And the answer so often is no. How do we debate with one another? And maybe more importantly, how do you win a debate? I'm a firm believer that it's not usually by changing someone's mind. Because debates rarely do that. Debates often are an exercise in confirmation bias. A psychological principle in which you already have a lot of presupposed notions that you're bringing into something. And in the debate... The audience hears the things that they want to hear, confirming what they already know, and ignore for that which they don't like, that which they disagree with. 
And in a similar way, the opponent who they disagree with already, they find more reasons to disagree with that opponent. Confirmation bias. We are biased to confirm what we already believe and feel and think. Debates often take that form for an audience. And then it can become a cheap way of trying to make yourself look good, to gain popularity, or it just turns to slander and mocking other people. Too often, debates lose their original intent and purpose, and they don't win anyways by trying to find the truth, by trying to find the common ground. Now, we have plenty of examples of that in our society today, but this is nothing new. Debate is a very old, old, old practice, and the Jews loved debate. There's a lot of debate in the New Testament, and Jesus engaged these debates often. And the Jews were really good at debate, in part because it wasn't just making stuff up on the fly. All of the rabbis who would be debating had memorized the Torah. And so for them to debate the law, this was not just an opportunity that you could pull up or make up anything, but you would be called on what you did or didn't say. And you can imagine of all of the content of the Torah of all of the content of the law that was up for debate, how easily it would be to come up with a point and counterpoint back and forth. But the Jews reveled in this debate. And at this point in the Gospel of Mark, a lot of debates are happening. Because, not because everyone's trying to find a closer avenue to the truth, but because people are trying to trap Jesus, trying to make him look bad, trying to slander him. But then in Mark 12, 28 through 34, we get this beautiful glimpse of how a debate can go. How debating formal question and answers in a dialogue can bring everyone closer to the truth. Amidst all of our political season that we're in the middle of, it's refreshing to read this passage in Mark 12 that has so much love and mutual respect between the two parties that are debating. Because this all starts with this particular teacher of the law who is not named. It all starts with him noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Because Jesus can handle himself in a debate. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. It piqued his curiosity and his interest. The scholar uh, M. Clayton Croy writes this, a scribe overhears Jesus in debate with the Sadducees in Mark 12, 18 to 27, and is impressed by his handling of a tricky question. So he poses his own question to Jesus. But unlike so many others recounted in the Gospels, this question is sincere. This scribe is not seeking to entrap Jesus, but to learn from him. His approach is that of a fellow rabbi, not that of a hostile opponent. He notices that Jesus gave a good answer. It gives him respect for Jesus, and it makes him ask a sincere question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, a numerical survey will give us some complexity for how hard of a question this could be. There's 613 laws in the Torah. 
365 of them are framed negatively, and 248 of them are framed positively. More thou shalt not than shalls. And Jesus, in asking this great, large, complicated question about 613 laws, which is the most important, Jesus gives an almost simple response. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the way Jesus starts it might almost be simple to the point where it's profound. Because Jesus starts by quoting the Shema, which we learned quite a bit of last fall. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's as far as I get. It's a childhood song, one that they all would know and remember. It'd be like you getting asked, what's the most important thing you believe? And you would respond by singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus responds with a simple and familiar answer not seeking something obscure to somehow bring it up and reframe it for great and profound meaning, but he takes the simple childhood truth. He starts with the Sunday school answer. But there's a reason that we teach our children the Sunday school answers from the beginning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Now, Jesus breaks some rules of assumption in the way that he answers this question. Sometimes in the church, we're so familiar with the way Jesus answers things that we lose the profound impact of how he answered them because we're used to them. If we were asked, what's the greatest in the law? What's the greatest commandment? We would answer it this way because we know that this is how Jesus answered it. But to hear it the way the people would have heard this debate, those who were watching as this teacher of the law went into debate with Jesus, consider this. How would you answer if you were asked, which of the Ten Commandments is the most important? How would you answer that? I mean, maybe for the good of humanity, you'd say, well, not murdering people is pretty important. You would be right, but... That doesn't say anything about how we treat God, about that we should have no other gods before him and that we shall not make an idol and that we shall not take his name in vain. How would you answer a question like that? Which of the Ten Commandments is the most important? Choose one. Jesus breaks some of the assumption in the debate. And he, of course, also answers it in two parts. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But wonder for yourself, how would you pick one of the Ten Commandments? Then consider the task of picking one out of 613 commandments. Now, like the Ten Commandments, there's things that relate to how we relate to God and how we relate to other people, how we relate to our neighbors on this earth. And Jesus follows that trend with the law. It has to relate with God and with neighbor. But unlike the Ten Commandments, which are most of them a one-to-four ratio framed negatively, thou shalt not, Jesus frames his summary of the law all in the positive by quoting scripture of what you shall do 
not of what you should just try to cautiously avoid, but that which you should actively apply yourself to, that which you should seek. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. And these two go inseparably. So, maybe part of what makes Jesus good at debate is he knows how to cheat the rules just a little bit and bend them. But he won't answer it without both of these parts. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. These two cannot be separated. This type of teaching gets picked up later, very much later, in the epistle of 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, we're written this, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. You can't separate the two. If you love God, then you also will love neighbor. If you do not love neighbor, then it's questionable. And if you actually love God whom you have not seen, love of God comes first. Because theologically, God always comes first. That's a cornerstone of the Reformed tradition, that we always start with God. We get a cue from this from Jesus, who starts with loving the Lord your God. But if love of neighbor does not follow, if love of neighbor is not a part of your love, then the question is raised on if the love of God was really there in the first place or not. God's great love for us is the starting point. And it should move us to respond with that kind of love to a neighbor. I think about this with baptism. That God's great love for us is something that we grow and learn more about. We see other people being baptized and it reminds us that these promises were claimed over us. And our response to God's great love our response to this love is to love him and to love one another, to love our neighbor. When I was in high school, we took a ski trip up to Bittersweet. And one of the things that happened there was I was with one of our elders of our church who is also a youth group sponsor, John Rorda. And on the top of the highest hill, standing there with John, I was talking to him about how maybe I was a little bit annoyed and frustrated because I was trying to be friends with and trying to be really patient with a student who had some special needs and how it could be just frustrating and annoying. And in that moment, on the top of the hill, John, with all the wisdom and poise of a great elder, said, you know, that's tough, Stephen. But then I think about how patient God has to be with me. And that's what gives me my patience for other people. That moment is frozen in my memory. And it shaped and formed me to think of God's great love for me as the comparison for how well do I love others. If I'm not willing to be patient with others, have I taken for granted how patient God is with me? If I'm not willing to love others, have I taken for granted God's great love for me? God's love for us is the starting point. And our love for God is our first response. 
But the immediate response then also is loving our neighbor with the kind of love that God showed us. To embody that, to show it, to intentionally share the love of Jesus. And here at North Holland to do so through compassion-filled hospitality as God has hospitably gathered and welcomed us despite all of our flaws and failures. The teacher of the law who asked this question, who gave Jesus the platform on which to give a magnificent answer of loving both God and neighbor, these commandments go together. Playing around with singular and plural, Jesus says there is no greater commandment than these. Commandment singular, these, plural. They go together inseparably. And the teacher of the law answers with respect. Well said, teacher. I always hear the teachers of the law with a British accent. I don't know why. So when I hear well said, teacher, I kind of think, top marks, young chap. That has nothing to do with the sermon. That's just my inner dialogue. (laughs) But he sums up Jesus' answer. He almost parrots it back to him. And at first glance, We might think that he just is trying to save face and look good himself by answering the same way that Jesus answered. Well, Jesus gave a good answer, so I better just repeat it and pretend like that's how I would have answered too. We can see that in debates. But there's a level deeper that this teacher takes, a response that shows that he understood what Jesus said and that he's on board with him and that he agrees with him. The teacher of the law gets a pretty high compliment after he responds because Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. Once again, the mutual respect continues through the passage. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The teacher received a high compliment from Jesus. And the one thing in his response that is in addition to Jesus' answer is this. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. That response demonstrates an incredible knowledge of the Old Testament, but not just a head knowledge, but an awareness of what's going on. Not just a memory of all the laws, but a living understanding of how the history of Israel demonstrated times when those laws were being followed and when they were not. And sometimes when they were being followed, but the people were still wicked anyway. Several passages from the prophets come to mind because the prophets were often people who observed people doing all the right ceremonial stuff, all the right religious stuff, all the right debates around the law, but not loving God or loving neighbor as they should. Consider the quote from Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. For I, the Lord, desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This teacher of the law echoes Hosea in answering this way. God desires mercy, mercy shown to our neighbors, not just the sacrifices. An acknowledgement of God, love of God, rather than burnt offerings. Micah chapter 6 has the same sort of theme to it, beginning at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The sum of that passage is to love the Lord your God, to walk humbly with him, and to love your neighbor. After all of these almost hyperbolic statements about rivers flowing of olive oil, of offering your firstborn for your transgressions, which is a little forward towards Jesus, all of the sacrifices, all of the burnt offerings could be observed. But if love of God and love of neighbor are not primary, if those are not prioritized, then all of the other stuff that would be done would simply be out of order. But if we prioritize the law correctly, if we pick what of the 10, what of the 613 things are most important, if we embody that loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor is most important, then all the other pieces come into place. If you love God, you wouldn't want to have any other gods before him, nor would you want to make an idol. If you love God, you would not take the Lord's name in vain. If you love God, you'll honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if you love your mother and father, because they are your neighbors as well, you will honor them. If you love your neighbor, you will not kill or steal or covet, commit adultery. All of the pieces of the law fall into loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. These are the greatest commandments. There is no greater than this. As we've celebrated three baptisms in three weeks, celebrating the love of God, the love of God that comes to us when, just as the liturgy says, all this he did for you, little one, though you know nothing of it yet. We remember that we are children of God. How do people know that we are children of God? When I'm with my dad, it's because we're both six foot six. It's easy to spot. Characteristics of family resemblance are ways that we can spot family members. But that's not always the case. Family members who are adopted are family members to the same extent, but they might not look alike. How do we recognize family members? How do we recognize children of God? Do they bear the fruit of those who love the Lord their God and love their neighbor? Is that a way that you could summarize your life, your energy, your attitude? Is all of yourself, because Jesus doesn't leave any exceptions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of your thinking and feeling and doing, with all your mind, with all your muscle, with all that you are. Love the Lord your God in response to his great love for us. And love your neighbor as yourself. These are the marks of a child of God. May it be true for Joseph as he grows in his knowledge of the love of God. May it be true for all of us as we remember our baptism, called, chosen as children of God, to love him and to love our neighbors.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask you to examine our hearts. In this season of Lent, give us the wisdom to notice those areas in our lives where we do not love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Give us the humility to admit the ways in which we have not loved our neighbor as ourself, from the ways in which we stray from faithful love of God and neighbor. But all this we do not in despair, but in hope, knowing that by your Holy Spirit, you will daily renew and cleanse and strengthen us, that we may live with the kind of love that you have called us to love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.